This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So good evening and welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem. Um, here we are in our Wednesday night Bible study, wrestling with the last words of Moses. Uh, we're nearly at the end. Moses is also drawing close to the end of his life as he is preparing the people of Israel, whom he has spent uh, a large portion of his time wandering through the wilderness with these people, um, as he's prepping them up, encouraging them, blessing them, and giving them instructions, which carries through to be one of the most popular books of the New Testament, um, quoted, quoted the most, uh, as he's trying to create a holy people of God that will reflect the character of the divine, uh, to the nations that are around them. We will do a, a, a good tradition as we pray and acknowledge the Lord's presence here in our midst and wherever you are listening in. Brother Neville, if you pray us in. Yes, let's pray. Father, thank you for your steadfast love which lasts forever. And thank you, Lord, that you've promised to be amongst us and with us as we come before your word. Father, help us to be among those who tremble at your word that we may submit to it and obey it. Father, thank you that you long to see us walk in your ways more more correctly and more fully and to understand your ways so, so that we might delight in them. So, Father, we pray your Holy Spirit will be, be guiding and helping Aaron in his teaching and in our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, so summary of our discussion from last week on uh, the large chapter of Deuteronomy 28. So chapter 28 continues the pattern of blessing and extreme curses that has been prevalent throughout the Torah. Other nations had covenants that included blessings and curses as well. The difference with the Torah is the covenant is not between a human king and his people, but with God and man. Because Hebrew has no punctuation in its sentence structure, Moses uses a double shma, that is, he says the word shma twice, to give the word emphasis. Moses wants Israel to fully hear and obey the commands of the Lord. He also includes the conditional word if throughout this chapter. The covenant is the covenant. The results of obedience to the covenant are displayed with blessing curse. The potential blessings are very powerful as Moses declares that God will raise Israel high above all other nations should they follow his decrees. Conversely, the curses for disobedience are extremely destructive and horrific in nature. The Gospel of John also contains many if-then conditional statements by Jesus in familiar fashion to Moses. We should note that the conditional statements from Moses are at the national level. Moses reminds the people that blessings flow from hearing and obeying the voice of God. From where do we hear the voice of the Lord? Through the prophets through the priesthood and the ministers in the tabernacle, the umen and thumen, those magical devices the high priest has, through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, just to name a few. There are many ways to hear the Lord, and we are without excuse for not doing so. Obedience brings abundant blessing, and verses 3 to 6 describe something akin to prosperity gospel. Verse 7 says Israel will even be blessed in warfare 
which is an interesting thought, as Moses does not say they will be blessed with peace. Rather, victory. We should note, then, that the believers, too, have enemies. God has enemies, and our struggle is not only against flesh and blood. Jesus says we'll be blessed when they persecute us for his name's sake. Moses stresses the blessings attached to being in the land. However, we know from history that the Jewish people have also attained some blessings also in diaspora. Perhaps, though, the greatest of the blessings rests in the relationship that Israel will have with the living God. Obedience and following the Torah will result in God calling them his people, a holy people. Correspondingly, following the Messiah and his commandments similarly results in being called a holy people, belonging to the Lord. What is the end result of obedience? That the other nations will see the blessings upon Israel and a knowledge of the Lord will come upon the nations. God delights to be revealed through other people. 1 King 10 recounts the visit of the Queen of Sheba, who after seeing how the Lord had blessed Israel, gave praise to God. According to tradition, this is how Judaism entered Ethiopia. After the resurrection, the knowledge of Jesus is revealed to the world by the disciples of Jesus, not by Jesus himself. Obedience also brings the treasures of heaven upon the land, which in the ancient world was rain. That sentiment on what the treasures of heaven are today probably changed somewhat. Water is and was the source of life, the most valued of all commodities. Modern Jewish exegesis will say the treasure of heaven is the book of books, the Bible. Choice is a two-edged sword. With the power of choice comes the power to choose unwisely. And this chapter details at great length the destructive result of disobedience. Moses even hints at the future national diaspora of the Jewish nation among the Gentiles. Many of these curses can be read as history, for indeed they all came into being as part of the Jewish story. While we acknowledge that Isaiah the prophet notes that God brings both peace, shalom, and disaster in Isaiah 45.7, in this chapter, Moses describes God as the instigator of the blessing in verse 8, and human disobedience as the cause for the curses to fall on man, verse 15. The command of the Messiah for his people is to bless and not to curse, which is in line with the character of God. God is working to bring blessing to his people, and we partake of that work through obedience and walking with the Lord. Again, we should note that there is no mention of temple or tabernacle and no mention of sacrifices. Blessings and curses are not linked to those objects, rather to the heart of the believer and the honest desire to hear the voice and follow that voice in obedience. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them. Okay. Summary of our uh, discussion from last, last week and now going through Deuteronomy 29. And we read, These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, 
You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came out of this place, Sichon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and we gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of the Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your, the, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you, Today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord your God, and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, for among them. Beware, lest there be any among you, a man or a woman, or clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord your God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words, uh, when he hears the words of uh, this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, "I'll be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart." This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smote against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admaan and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? What caused the heat of this great anger? And then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them, which he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods which they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land, as they are to this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed 
belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. All right. So, guys, based on an initial Bashat literal reading of the text, what jumps out for you? What is it? Is there anything that jumps out for you? Well, for me, it was the end of verse 15, where Moses says, you know, this is with whoever is standing here with us today before our Lord our God, and with whoever is not standing with us today. So that's yeah. the rest of the world. <laughs> in a, in a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, he just says for everybody. But yeah, very interesting way of speaking, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it was intended that way, but it can come across that way. Cool. Yep. Good one. Okay. Anything else that jumps out for people? Um, the Lord on that, oh, sorry. On, on that verse, and don't don't the the Jewish people say it's it's meant for not just this generation but all the future generations? Yeah, it's. Uh, As I'll say to, to say that uh, the future generations of the Jewish nation will be obligated to obey the Torah as well. So that's what our sages say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, verse 29, I love that verse. The secret things belong to the Lord your God, but these things which are revealed uh, belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. Yeah. Words. Powerful, powerful verse. It is. It's a nice way to finish, especially when you've um, uh, said some very interesting things in the middle. Yvonne, you're about to say the same thing as me. What was it? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> the Lord will not be willing to forgive him the plotting out of the name. Yep. And you're like, what? No, wait a second. What do you mean, won't forgive? Surely that's not what that means. Well, that's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. So when you, when you, often when you read um, some things in the Bible, that are, when you take, look at them quite literally, they jump at you and they go, how can this possibly be? Now I've got to start asking questions. What do you mean God doesn't forgive? And, and is that actually possible? So we can talk about that when it comes to, comes to it. All right. Great. All right, so looking now uh, at the first couple of verses, these are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, which is the setting we know where we are now, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Chorev. So what's the obvious thought there, guys? What's the obvious question? Anybody? Go, Mordecai. So the people that Moshe is speaking to right now isn't the same generation that uh, stood at the, the base of Sinai. So they were their fathers. So because it took 40 years for them to come to the land of Israel, so these are the children who were born in the desert, so Moshe is just trying to come clean with them. <laughs> trying to, you know, tell them that they are also obligated to the law because some of them uh, could think like, uh, so I'm just born into this obliga- uh, obligation, so maybe I'm not obligated to do that, you know? But he says, no, you too are obligated to obey the Torah. Like, like 
the guy that yeah, exactly the guy that uh, he says, "I shall be safe." If I walk with the stubbornness of my heart. In verse, 19. yeah, because yeah, on an initial reading, you could read it like, "Hang on a second, how many covenants are actually there?" There's one. Yeah, right. There's just one, but. On an initial reading, these are the words of the covenant that you get in Moab. Besides the covenant we had at Horeb, you're like, well, how many covenants are there then? Like, oh, many. <laughs> well, there are. It's true. There are many. Covenant with Abraham, covenant with Abraham. But um, it's, a, it's an interesting way that the, the phrase is, is meant. And again, we get the, 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 the name of the mountain, Horeb, which is actually its most common name in the Bible, yet we have chosen to call it Mount Sinai. Okay. But um, it's actually called Choreb the most. Yeah. And I know, and we've mentioned it before, you know, Choreb is not a, a pleasant word. Uh, destruction, sword, okay, it's like, you know, wh why, why, why does the God of the universe decide to, to come and give his beautiful words on a really nasty mountain? You know, why not make a mountain called Habracha, you know, the mountain of blessing, and come down on that one? But, uh, and there are discussions, you know, some say that it was in Egypt, some say that no, it's in Saudi Arabia, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it possible that that mountain is named that because of the slaughtering after the Golden Calf incident? Could be. Yep, it could be that you know, as we, re we, we, we go back on sacred history, we take the name, could be. Because yeah, the, the Levites had to kill people with swords during that event, didn't they? Had to run through the camp. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You know how do the Arabs call that mountain, Aaron? No, what is it? They say Jebel Musa, the mountain of Moshe. Moshe, Moshe. So, oh, really? Jebel Musa. Yeah. Is that the Jebel one in Musa. Saudi Arabia or the one in Saudi Arabia? Um, yeah. yeah, in Saudi. Santa Catarina. It, oh, is that yeah, Santa Catarina, the other one? That's right. That's okay. Right. Ca Catholics have got to have their little name for it as well. Okay. Or maybe right. in Australia. Who knows? Yeah. All right. So, okay, so um, uh, Mordecai, what, is, what does Rashi say on verse 1? Does he say it's the same one? Does he say actually there's some, been some additions along the way now? Well, it says the same thing. It says uh, there's no two covenants, so he's just basically talking to the children who were born in the desert, so he's just telling them they are also obligated to do that because... Uh, they themselves didn't personally experience the revolution, and perhaps they don't see themselves as being a part of this covenant. So, okay. and then he just tells them that you guys are so obligated to follow this. So I'm just reminding you, or just recalling, or just saying, but there are not two covenants. There's yep. only one. Uh, so Moses summons all Israel, and he Moses. says, "Aaron, yes, sir." Legally speaking, it's just an addendum to the first one. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, That's also, uh, yeah, yes. sorry, go so, ahead. Yeah, an addendum, like, and that, and so why is, what do you call the name of this book in, uh, in, in Greek, right? Deutero, Nomos, right? Deuteronomy. So even the Septuagint, which is Jewish translators, Back then, a couple of hundred years before Jesus, you know, sort of realized, hang on a second, these are there are some addendums. 
Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's actually been a little tweaking here. Moses has been wandering around the desert with the people of Israel. And he sort of said, you know what? There's some things that are not quite working right here, okay? You know, you haven't quite got the picture. It's meant to yeah. be on your hearts. So I'd better mention that. And, yeah. uh, and so but still just one but just still just one covenant. Correct. Yes. yes, the one covenant with some addendums. <laughs> um, I forget to add this. So what was the covenant at the base of Sinai? It was the Ten Commandments, right? Sure. So now they have the Torah because it took 40 years for Moshe to write the words down. So he, I think uh, Ten Commandments was just a trailer. Now here comes the movie. So he's just <laughs> telling them. Okay. There are not two covenants, but he says, you know, there will be a covenant when we reach the land. So here we are, we reach the land, and here's the covenant. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So he gets everybody together, as he's been doing, and he begins again with um, a little bit of sacred history. You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, to his servants, to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and the great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see, but ears to hear. All right. So what is true seeing? Where do you see it from? Yeah, it, it highlights the power of God in our understanding, eh? Like yeah. in the New Testament, it reminds you of those couple of verses in the New Testament where the, the apostles' you know, eyes were kind of covered, and then they're, you know, later they see like the road to, to Emmaus, and then also oh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. That's a that's a nice one. Yeah, the um, yeah, I'll write that down. <clears throat> yeah, so they physically saw things with their eyes, but what, where does Moses really want them to see from? Understanding of the heart. Yeah, that's right. Write these laws on your heart. You know, he's been journeying with these guys. They've seen stuff every single day, and yet uh, uh, it, sometimes it just does not go through. And that can be with us too, obviously. We also have eyes, and we can see the world. We can interact with the world. But, of course, what does God really want to conquer? He wants to conquer our hearts, right, and, uh, and see with that. And it's... There's, a, there's the implication that the Lord helps, right? The Spirit of God assists in this process as well. Just a thought um, um, that in those days that Moses is saying, look, you've seen all these great signs and wonders, but you haven't really understood and taken it to heart. Yeah. What I find interesting is that we read in the New Testament that Jesus says, you know, the Greeks seek wisdom, but the Jews seek a sign. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no sign should be given it except for the sign of Jonah and so on. Um, but so as if, you know, they, they still had this attitude to be wanting to be persuaded by signs. And, Je and Jesus says, yeah, in one of his parables, that even if someone rises from the dead and tells them about it, it's still not going to make any, any difference. They should li listen to what Moses said. Mm, correct. There you go. Yeah. Do you know, do you know I'll have to write that verse down. That's a good one as well. Yep. Seeing miracles doesn't always help all that much. And uh, in the ancient world, uh, in, in Jewish tradition, the heart is the center of morality and faith, not, uh, not the eyes. The eyes get to see miracles, but the heart is where um, 
there's of the center of morality and faith. So why do you think that the text tends to or tends to say the Lord hasn't given you understanding? I think Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 might be a good reference that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's this concept that, like even in the New Testament, that, you know, those that don't believe that their eyes are kind of veiled by evil or whatever, and then it, God has to open your understanding that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Hmm. Yeah. What's the verse that says, um, whatever you get, you know, knowledge, understanding, get, get wisdom, or is it get understanding? What's the actual phrase? Someone remember? Get understanding. So get understanding? Get wisdom, get understanding. Get all three of them together. together. Starts with knowledge, then understanding, then wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is supreme, so acquire knowledge. That's in Proverbs 4 7. Proverbs, yeah. 4 7. Yeah. And verse 5 is the one you were talking about, Aaron. Okay. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from it. But you have to really dig for it, eh, in the Proverbs? Yeah. Yeah, considering the guy who wrote it doesn't seem to have taken much of the advice to heart, did he? (laughs) Don't forget also, I don't know if this applies, but. A few places said people will perish for lack of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've got to, it has to be hard, but there also has to be some knowledge there. It's yeah. A combination of things. Correct. So uh, Moses continues his orotation. This time he's got a lot of his own personal testimony to throw in. I have led you, this is verse 5, 40 years in the wilderness, and your clothes haven't worn out, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. Okay. This is actually the first time that that sandals bit's actually there. The other time it talks about, it says your clothes haven't worn out, um, and it says your feet didn't swell. This is in Deuteronomy 8. But now we get a little bit of information. Even the shoes themselves didn't break, which is pretty cool. You have not eaten bread. That's an interesting thing to say. Because what have, have they been eating? Manna. Manna. Okay. You have not eaten bread. And you have not drunk wine. So bread and wine are two elements that are mentioned here. Or strong drinks. So we throw in the whiskey, the bourbons as well. Um, But you may know there's a reason why you haven't had bread and you haven't had wine. So that you may know that I am the Lord your God. All right, what's the connection between that then? Does that mean if we drink wine and eat bread that we're not going to understand the Lord? Well, I will now declare myself gluten intolerant and a Nazarite, if that's true. Okay. <laughs> Any idea why this uh, phrase? Because um, I looked, I tried to find some reasons. I couldn't quite figure this out. Well, maybe the things that you take for granted, eh? Okay, that's not bad. Okay, could be. So, because so God maybe, is. Uh, but one thought, maybe uh, Aaron, if people could say, "Well, I just can't live without bread and wine," and God says. No, 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 no. Man shall not live by bread alone, you know, and, but yep. by every word that God speaks. Yep, very nice. Yes. It's interesting that these are the elements that are put in and, the, and it's attached to you don't need these. What you need is to know the Lord. Okay? Um, and, and, and not only knowing the Lord, look what he provides. He provides this 
magical manner. That, that, yeah. Can I say something? Yeah. Well, here it says you neither ate bread nor drank, drank new wine or old wine, but instead ate the miracles manna and drank water from the miracles well, all this in order that you would know that I am God, your God. So yep. you just mm. recalling the miracles that happened in the past. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with drinking wine or no. no. <laughs> That's a, yeah, yeah. No, I, especially whiskey. Because if you study study with a rabbi, okay, what's the first thing they're going to bring out at ten o'clock in the morning? Whiskey okay? um, That's right. Uh, and so when you came to this place, um, the site we get those two big guys, which we have mentioned many times and there was something about them that was so poignant in the history of Israel that they constantly keep remembering Sichon and Og okay and we, we dealt with those in, in the in the previous uh, chapters the um, traditions that these are actually uh, descendants of giants descendants of uh, fallen ones and, and hence because they were so big and powerful um, they they were worthy of a mention many times uh, in scripture and then uh, how they took their land in verse 8 and how we gave it for an inheritance to the Rubites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And um, again, in the, in the previous um, chapters in Deuteronomy, Moses didn't think this was a good thing. Right? It wasn't this, they were not, they were, the, the Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were not meant to dwell in that side of the Jordan. They were meant to be on the other side. And there are parts, some commentaries that will say that that is not the promised land, that two and a half tribes were not living on the promised land. Okay? That uh, the promised land starts when you cross the Jordan, okay? with that step. This creates a, a conundrum for me. It does. Because God doesn't, he, he lets them do it. He says, okay, God lets them make a choice and he doesn't punish them for it. Yep. And that is scary that God will allow us to make some choices. And we not know that that's not what we're not getting. Maybe the best that he would give for us. And we mm -hmm. make that choice and, and we carry on. I well, don't you know. You just preached a really good sermon right there, Roddy. That's a good piece of learning. Uh, it's of scary for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I find it very interesting in the book of Joshua, but right at the end, that uh, Reuven and Gad and, and Manasseh build an altar to the Lord on the east bank of the Jordan. Ah, yeah. Okay. And, and Pinchas goes over and says, what are we doing? You know, we're to go to war and wipe these guys out. How dare they start idolatry? And they actually convince Pinchas and Joshua that, no, 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 it's fine. And, uh, and, they, and they continue it. And they even name the place and make it another sacred site. So you end up with sacred sites on the Baal, altar there, uh, altars on the east side of the Jordan. There's altars almost all over the place. And then um, you wonder why the Lord uh, actually does that. I, I can't tell you. I'm not 100% sure. However, has, it, here, has anybody actually been on the other side of the Jordan to see these things? Do you know somebody who's been there? I think Aviel went. Now, I've been to Jordan, but I didn't see uh, that. I saw um, some ruins in uh, Rahat, I think it was, it was one, and uh, it was a it was a place that jo uh, Joab conquered. And, uh, and also, grave of Aaron Cohen is also there, right? Oh yeah, that's right. See, I've seen that as well. That's right. I've been to Petra and I saw that one. Yeah. 
I don't want to go there, but I've never been there. Saw the saw the grave. Um, scares your pants off because what they do is they, or they might have fixed it by now, but they have um, donkeys. You have to take a donkey on the way up because there's no railing. Oh. You just walk up this mountain and you look down and you think, oh my gosh, if this donkey, which I'm hoping the donkey doesn't want to die, um, uh, I'm going to go down too. And and you realize I've paid, I've paid like 20 dirhams for this. I've paid like you know, 60 shekels <laughs> for this privilege of scaring me out of my wits. Um, but when you get to the top, you do see the grave of Aaron, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And I'm sure those donkeys have converted many people to the belief in God. Okay. <laughs> Uh, lots of prayers ascended to the to the Lord on high uh, during those days. And so, therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them so you prosper and live. And so this idea of um, you've already seen, you've already known what we've got, we're already standing in some conquered territory, so keep on God's side. You weren't standing at, at Mount Sinai. He promised you you were going to to win. You've already seen us have victories, so, so don't give up. Don't faint okay? and, uh, um, and, and, and push forward. And those are really good uh, things also for us too because sometimes in the, in the world you can get a little depressed and you can think, Lord, you know, I don't understand what you're doing. We've got the persecuted church around the world. What's, what's going on? But yet if you take a, just a step back and look and you think, hang on, you started this with some little Jewish guy and 12 other little Jewish guys, and the message of the Messiah has not stopped. Okay? You, there was a small family went down to Egypt, and now the, the belief in God is all over the world. Um, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a pretty impressive story. It's almost unbelievable, except that it happened which is incredible. All right, so you're all standing today, all of you. Um, can I add something to yes, mine? Yep. Uh, the, the word that you succeed in Hebrew is tasilu. Tasilu oh, yeah. means, yeah, comprehend. Okay. So it uh, implies that by fulfilling God's commandments, we will comprehend all what, you know, all that we should do. Mm-hmm. From yes. that word. And in the previous chapter, obedience, as we saw, leads to blessing. The problem is sometimes too much blessing leads to arrogance and prosperity and then idolatry, which is what you see with with Solomon. He gets such wealth that he he does build a temple to God. And people go, that's fantastic. But he also building temples to other gods. Right at the same time, and you think you're this smart. Why are you making such a dumb decision? That we have to. We love the idea of God blessing us, and that's great. But let's keep it in perspective, because once we have forgotten to follow the Lord, and we're just enjoying the benefits of prosperity, we may lead to arrogance, and we'll stop doing, and quickly we'll run, very quickly, run into idolatry. Yeah. And uh, something very interesting, um, you know, he, he always says, you know, be careful with, with idolatry. Um, the whole thing about setting his face, he'll hide his face from us, that must steer panim. He will 
hide the faith and he and it's always as as they're going into idolatry leaving the covenant and uh it's always the same thing he's giving them into the hands of their choices so like he says that in ezekiel and De- deuteronomy 32 uh when they turned he's hid his face then he gives them into the hands of blank and you could put assyria or babylonia yeah. or- the Romans, it's just, and he gives, he, he, as they, as if they would turn to the, these pagans, then they would be conquered by the pagans. So this, this, uh, you know, they're just, he's just handing the people over to what they actually choose. And he hides his face. He says that in many, many places, uh, when they turn from God and serve other gods, and they're actually conquered by those gods. So, and he was opposite of of number six, we want God to shine his face upon us and not to turn away or to hide. That would be a terrible thing. It would be. Yeah. And I, I personally also always take comfort in the verses that, you know, I, the Lord, I change not. And mm. so the, the, the God that is being revealed here and his intentions, his desire to bless his, his call for obedience uh, the way he smashes enemies um, and rescues and, uh, and wants understanding of the heart is exactly the same as, uh, as, as revealed also through the person of, of Jesus with the addendum. Although it's a different one because it's, the prophet says this is now the new covenant as opposed to an addendum. Um, anyway, all right, so who's standing before them right now? Uh, Moses and the people of Israel. Who are these people of Israel? You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God. Right? Well, how are they doing that? I mean, they're standing before Moses, one assumes, and the elders and a bunch of Levites. Uh, Joshua, I'm I'm assuming, is around there somewhere. Okay? Um, uh, And Caleb, maybe, but we haven't seen. Uh, I mean... Aaron's dead, Miriam's dead, so it's kind of it's on the family side. It's not looking too hot for him. Um, but he says, you are standing today before the Lord your God. How? Um, some say that someone was holding the Torah. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like how? Uh, you mean like Moses had written, written one? Yeah. So standing in front of it. Ah, right, thank you. Aaron, you kind of said it. <clears throat> Aaron's gone. Miriam's gone. Moshe's about to be gone. So what's the whole point? <laughs> is that is that it's not people. It's God that leads. Okay. His word is Torah. I would agree with Moshe. It's, it's his word. Okay. okay. Right. Yeah, they're, they're standing in reverence, right? Okay. Um, Moses has asked them to gather. Yep. What what uh, what is the at this point? What's the unnamed thing which Moses seems to like to often keep unnamed? <laughs> tabernacle. Yeah, God is not just in the tabernacle. Then he's Correct. he's not just in the tabernacle. Moses has been very clear in the in Deuteronomy to remind people, and so they've got a tabernacle. They've got a pillar of cloud still that hasn't disappeared. And uh, one assumes that tomorrow morning they will wake up and still go out and get manna. But um, often, you know, when Moses is speaking, say, the Lord your God, look down from heaven. So here they are, we're all standing, but he still says, you're standing before God. 
right? It's as though God is standing right in front of you. And one of those, when, when Jewish people put their little prayer shawl on and they daven and they pray, who's standing in front of them? Mordecai? When, when Jewish God. people, sorry, sir? God. <laughs> yeah. Hashem. Hashem. There's the belief that um, God literally standing right in front. So they start bowing, right? And you put your little blinkers on so you make sure you don't pay attention to anything else, just him. That's why we cover our face completely before we say the Beracha, because basically that's the time of seeing each other. So we cover it, we say the Beracha, and we open. Mm-hmm. put it on our head. Put it on, yep. And so the sort of idea here is that God is present. And so who's standing in front of God? The heads of your tribes, elders, officers, all the men of Israel, little ones as well, wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp. All right. So who are those people? Yeah. The Gerim. Yeah. yeah. They're, they've picked up some stragglers along the way. Okay. Some of them could have been Egyptians. Some of them yeah. could have been, you know, whoever they met along the way that, that joined them and, and, and went with the God of Israel. Some of them could have been um, the Midianites that uh, Jethro brings over when he brings Moses' wife and, and family and perhaps some servants and things. So it's, it's a bunch. Or okay. maybe some YouTubers. They say 500,000 people are moving. They say, like, oh, man, where are they going? Let's follow. <laughs> Let's follow. Let's, let's uh, take oh, YouTube. Man. Exactly. And, uh, and the one who – I always find this interesting. I don't know why this is there. And the one who chops wood – and to the one who draws your water, who are these people? The Gibeonites. <laughs> we haven't had them yet, have we? True. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, those those ones will eventually chop the wood and draw the water. Um, slaves. Okay. You know, the, which the Lord your God is making with you today. Okay. Um, oh, hang on, and that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today. Hang on, has he not already made a covenant with them? So what's He's going renewing on? It, what was that, Neville? He's renewing it. Yeah, you've got to renew this almost, almost every day, I guess. Well, you've got to wake up in the morning and say the Shema. Why? Because today I'm going to make God king. Might have blown it yesterday, but today no. And... Uh, um, and the Lord your God is making with you today this covenant that he may establish you today as his people, and which is the, they've been the people of God. He took his people out of Egypt and they, and they uh, became king. But again, when they acknowledge that he is king, he will acknowledge them as his people. He will be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, our major patriarchs who come with a merit, right? Just as Paul says, that the, the people of Israel are still uh, blessed for the sake of the patriarchs, okay? Um, there's that very strong uh, patriarchal theme, which is very powerful for us as, as fathers, whoever is a, a father here or a patriarch here, that uh, we actually can have an effect on our, um, on our, on, on our family life. However, it's not just with you alone that I'm making this covenant, but it is though it's whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord your God and with whoever is not here today. Okay. And you think, oh, that's a great way of talking. Uh, and so 
you've heard you've heard Mordecai say that this is with the people, those people, and every successive generation. Yeah. Yep. And that's one way of reading it, yes. And you've also heard Neville also give another right. Well, that could be everybody. You know, God wants to make a covenant with everyone and call everyone to be his holy people, which is... Yeah, probably he does, I mean. Yes, because you begin to see as you go through uh, the history of the, uh, of the Jewish people with the prophets and with the Psalms and, and you begin to see that salvation becomes universal. Yeah. I think Moshe saw it because he was a wise man. That's why we call him Rabbeinu, our teacher. But now the books that we have say, this, say something different. It says the future. <laughs> but I also personally believe what Nev said in the beginning, you know, I think he saw that this covenant will be all over the world. So it says that. Yep. The, uh, so when you get into the Psalms, salvation is, is universal. And then the Jewish blessing becomes, Baruch Yeah, Not the king of Israel, but the king no. of the universe. So the obligations that God is putting on is for those who are not even born yet. Right? Scary, huh? Yeah, that's very scary. Yeah. yeah. So it's up to us to teach. And I think that's a very interesting thing where Moses already said it. Write these laws on your heart. Next sentence, teach them to your children. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they, they're not here with us. But when they come along, I want them to know as well. I'm, I'm making my, uh, my blessings and my covenants with that. So how do we fit into this? I was going to say something, actually, the, the whole thing about standing before the Lord. So Joshua did the same thing when he was about to die. And so did Samuel, when he was passed his leadership on to Saul, he had them stand by the heads and the tribes, the elders all the way down. So it's just continues through the generations of standing, listening, obeying so that you may enter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and faith, that verse pops to mind too, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So you okay. need to hear God's truth so that you can obey and follow, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, and that is, is then another burden on us to make sure that they hear. And, and what does Paul say? How can they hear unless someone goes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to, um, it, as for those of us who have been looking in the, in the diaconal class, um, one of the great revolutions of the of the late 1700s, early 1800s in, in the English society was they turned around and told preachers, for the love of God, preach, right? You know, start giving good sermons. And um, the, the idea of homiletics came out and the, the, you know, the, the outdoor preaching and the preaching that was a little bit longer than, than five minutes, right? Um, this, this idea that um, you actually had to hear the voice of the Lord. Okay. Um, verse 16. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt. Uh, how would have that have been? Slavery. Okay. What else? What can you think of? Um, water that comes through the floods it doesn't doesn't isn't not so much rain but it's just the irrigation by the nile yeah different way different form of agriculture um lots of of idols lots of gods lots of they're surrounded by egyptian 
yep. you know, deep. Yes, idolatry is prevalent. And what was one of the biggest gods or what was the whole society based around? It was based around two, two, two aspects. Um, one was Ra, the Pharaoh was God. And, you know, he woke up in the morning and he got the sun up. In fact, he had to get up before the sun so he could get the sun up. Right? So he always, yeah, these pharaohs had to go to bed early because they had to get up before the sun got up because otherwise the sun didn't get up. It would be horrible. Um, but there was another aspect of the Egyptian culture which Moses totally rejects. The water. We did cover it right at the beginning, I think when in my little introduction about how Moses as a prince of Egypt is very un-Egyptian. Uh, the cult of death, right, Aaron? Yes, Aaron, well done. They are, the Egyptians were obsessed with death, these huge monuments to death, um, massive inscriptions on the walls about how you go through the afterlife and all this massive preparation for, for death. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, and Moses said, oh, my gosh, we had a completely different agricultural system. We were surrounded by old idols and we just... We're just in this place of death. Well, we're not like that. Our God is life. And we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. We left them. Okay? And uh, we have seen their detestable things, idols, wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. So everywhere we went, we saw their false gods. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe. Okay? So... You know, you can have this individual falling away. But you might have families fall away. You might even end up having whole tribes fall away. Yeah, and that happened. Yes. Mm. The, the one that didn't enter into their own inheritance and took someone else's yeah. up north, Dan. Yep. And they went very much astray uh, uh, among you. Lest there be among you a man or woman, clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away, Right. That's where their faith is based on, not their heads, not their eyes. Okay? I mean, they have seen detestable things and they have seen objects of silver and gold, but the heart is what uh, goes astray. And they, they go astray from the Lord your God and go and serve these other gods of these nations. Lest, beware lest to be among you, and this is an interesting thing, a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Wow, what interesting images Moses is, is bringing in. What a different way of talking from the last chapter. I mean, last chapter was this long rendition of um, all these horrible things that are going to happen to you if these curses fall on you. But what is this? This is an interesting one. So we've got a falling away from the heart. Could be, could be uh, male or female. Could be an, an entire tribe. Um, but it's described in a very interesting way. And how, how it is, okay, guys, how is it described? Go literally. And then go spiritually. A root of bitterness, verse 18. Okay, yes. Well, 
what do you think? Where does where does it Yeah, Yvonne, I know you want to say something. I, I, no, I, I don't know. If, uh, no, the whole idea is that he he he's in he's within the covenant people, so he believes yes. that he has he believes he's he's, he's that he's okay, that he's going to be safe, and he's going to have peace. And so, uh, you know, just as they would have the cloud and the covering and the protection and the rain, he would be in the middle of that, and he would get the same thing. So yes, that's yes. So the 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 not the the bad root is inside the healthy plant, expecting the healthy plant to keep him safe. No. What actually happens? What actually happens is that the the dry and the wet are both taken away together. And this, I think, is, well, in my mind, it links to a phrase in Ezekiel chapter 20. Um, shall I just look that one up? Um, it's right at the end of the chapter, and it, it then also is picked up by Jesus later on when he's carrying his cross. But it says, um, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy, say to the forest of the Negev, so this is Ezekiel 20, verse 47, Okay, for the, the forest of the Negev, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you and it shall every devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. Mm, okay. and, the and the blazing flame shall not be quenched and so on. And when Jesus is carrying his cross out of the Jerusalem, he says, don't weep for me to the women. Weep for yourselves, because if they do this when, when the tree is green, what will they do when it's dry? Mm. Mm. Good point. That's um. Yep. Meaning what? Meaning that the, as I understand it, the the green tree and the dry tree refer to the righteous and the unrighteous. And what Moses is saying here is that when you get this this idolatry springing up within the community, it's not going to just affect those who are, whose hearts are not following the Lord. It'll, it'll affect others, and the others will get swept away in the judgment that comes and in the waywardness. Two mm -hmm. of parables talk about this. We have the wheat and the tares. They grow up together. The angels will come, and they will take them out at some point in time. Um, you have many of, the, uh, many of his different parables always talking about this. But the one that I think affects all of us the most is when he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Yeah. But Lord, we did this. We did that. We did this in your name. That's scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I, I find the, the level of self-delusion to be quite poignant for, for even in today's world. So, um, it's interesting that uh, this, this, is a, this is quite a strong warning when you think about it, really. Here's this root. It's part of our body. It's part of our community. Man, woman, clan, up to, you know, whole tribe uh, thing. Going astray in their heart that something's not quite right and um, yet deluding themselves that they're going to be okay. Deluding themselves that by that they will get all the blessings that are associated by all the good guys who are doing good things. And, um, and yet it actually destroys from within the community. And as uh, and Neville quite rightly said, every, the whole house of cards falls, good, bad, righteous, unrighteous. 
the moist, the dry, everyone is included in the fall and the, tra and the tragedy that's here. And, um, and perhaps also this is one reason why, you know, uh, Jesus gives a warning to his disciples. When you see these things happen, run. <laughs> you know, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of Dodge. Like, do not hang <laughs> around here. You will all suffer the same fate. Um, you know, it's not that the believers, the angels will come and shelter the believers in their homes while the rest of the city gets destroyed. No, no everything is, is taken, taken out. Um, yeah. Aaron, can I just mention uh, Hebrews 12 in this? Because the, the, this same thought is brought up. So this is Hebrews yeah. 12 verses, uh, well, verse 15. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There you go. Yes. So there's a burden on us to share the faith, to, to, to proclaim, to hear, and to expand the kingdom. But there's this other side, like the blessings and curses, two sides, that um, if we don't examine our community and we don't look for that bitter root and we don't, um, work to remove it or fix it, you know, uh, then something bad happens. There is an example where somebody is sent out of the community in the New Testament. Anyone remember who that is? Well, um, Miriam was sent out. That's, that's in the Hebrew Bible, yes. She gets sent out because of um, leprosy, yeah. And then we see oh, in, the, in the New Testament or in yeah. the, uh, you have Judas Iscariot. He was sent up. I mean, he, was, he killed himself, but he was cut off. And um, there was a person in the Corinthian church who uh, committed sexual misconduct and was put out of the church. Yes, he was sleeping with it was his mother-in-law or something like that. So, so the, one of the inappropriate relationships, and Paul says, this is no good, and you have to get him out because if you keep him in, then, then it's going to go bad. But he's, this is going to affect everything, and judgment will affect the entire house. So that's actually a pretty incredibly powerful warning. Yeah, yeah and it just reminded me in, in Numbers um, when they were started to get involved with the Moabite women, and then the Israeli, uh, the, the, the man, he, he just he took the Moabite woman in the tent. It was like with that defiant high hand, uh, and uh, he basically then Pinchas, the, the, you know, the, the zeal, and it just affected how this – relationship with the mobile women just uh, brought brought you know disease brought destruction on the camp and uh, eventually ping has had to uh <laughs> with the zeal you know but it's that God, rama the defiant that high hand the defiant hand so it's See, that's my question. Like, how do you teach your kids to know God in a in a real heart way versus just the religious activities? You know, how do you teach your kid? You know, like Eli and Samuel. You know, you know, listen. You know, you try to teach them to listen for God, and when He speaks to you, you know, um, then respond. So I found like, so I have a son, I have two sons and a daughter, and my my middle son, like during his teenage years, was just like, well, I prayed, I prayed, and you know, like nothing's happening. And you know, how do you, I don't understand, I don't know exactly how you, so then I just began praying for him that summer that he would experience God in a real way for himself. Okay. But again, like, how do you help them to sort of, you know, know God in this way, like, you know, in verse 20, that his jealousy would burn against that man that wasn't following like that, that real heart relationship way, like, I don't know, it's hard. That's a good question. And, uh, you know, I have four children, 
and it's always been a challenge here at home, uh, they, they tend to, you know, of course, teaching them the word, but uh, living the word because they'll always see your negative. They can see like 50 things that are positive and they'll see two things that are negative and what will stick out the negative. But that brought me always, I'm always, that always brings me back to Matthew. Matthew, he has like, there's a greater paracope between chapter four and chapter nine, where he goes around the synagogues and, and, uh, and the Galilee teaching and he, and, and healing and uh, proclaiming the word of God. But he goes up to the Sermon on the Mount and he has people sit down like a good rabbi. And he just has people, he, people, he's, he's, he's teaching in word. It's Jesus indeed. So we can teach our children indeed, but then he comes down from the mountain and he actually starts doing what the kingdom of God, what a participant, what, what people, what the characteristics of the kingdom of God people should do. And so they're like the disciples, they're following Jesus and they're looking like, you know, there's a trade, like if you have a, an apprentice that's following the master. So they're, they're watching him do this. And then later after then, so, so it's, so it's the Sermon on the Mount five to seven, eight and nine, the miracles, and they're following him doing, they're just watching. And then eventually uh, 10, 11, eventually he says, okay, now let's do this together. And yeah. so he walks with them together and then he dies, resurrects. And he says in Matthew 28, now, now you you guys are going to emulate the things that I taught indeed that I did. And you watched that we did together. I'm leaving, but now you continue the work. So it's a challenge at home. Uh, I know here, you know, we teach in word indeed. We try to exemplify and many times we, we fail. And when we fail, we ask for forgiveness, but then we walk together and um, and I think if a child has fallen away from the faith and if there's anything that we've done that we've uh, aired, I think we could, of course, they make their own decisions, right? But sure. always ask forgiveness and it's never too late to do that. And, um, and, and many times with uh, friends of ours, we couldn't speak, but we could live out like the Bible says, we, we are the, the, the we are, we are a open book read by many so sometimes we can't say too much but at least if we can show it in action and live if, it I, out. if i knew the answer to the question sharon and i would you know write us yeah, i'd put it on a little podcast that's locked and i would say how to, how to save your kids uh in 15 minutes 995 <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I can, um, can i say something real quick please this question so I agree what uh, Ivana, with what Ivana said, because in, in the Jewish world, we, we also do the same thing. So our parents try to teach us by showing us and by doing with us. For example, we have some prayers, like when we wake up, we wash hands. So I remember my father was doing it with me and bed, bedtime shema, for example, we do together. And I used to go, uh, go to the synagogue with my father when I was five. And I specifically on Shabbat, uh, the kid of that household used to stand on the chair and give the thought about the parashat of the week. So they always give, uh, try to do with you so that you can understand from the first hand is by seeing it and doing it together. Then uh, they give some, you know, assignments to, to but I still, you know, even today they do that. So they're like, oh, what do you think about this week's parashat? And if the kid is so little, he just stands on the chair. Ah. 
Pashat Shavuah, and he begins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like my son went away and he did like a, a stage with a with a street ministry thing and stuff like that. But then I think he was hurt during the process of that year and just saw the humanity of it all. And, you know, like of Christians and Christian positions of responsibility and then just disillusion in combination with, you know, social media and, you know, gadgets and constantly feeding you garbage that just pulls you away from, you know, the truths of God and stuff. So, yeah, no, there's no guaranteed way for sure. But buy him a kosher phone. <laughs> yeah, buy a kosher phone. It doesn't touch the internet. Uh, <laughs> it's too late. He's 22. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we need to continue to pray for our sure. young, young yeah. ones, so without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so here we have this uh, very poor, um, poisonous piece of fruit that is dangerous, that could affect and uh, become contagious and, and lead to the downfall of many. Um, and so you get divine punishment. And it seems a rather strict one, and we should probably talk about it. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, uh, but rather the angel of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in his book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Wow. The Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses uh, of the covenant written in this, in this book of the Lord. Okay. A couple of verses there on a very severe divine punishment. Um, what are your initial thoughts, guys? What do you think it means he's not going to forgive? Um, I, I know that I'm probably way off here, way off here, because you're all, it's wonderful listening to all of you. But that could that apply to the teachings in some of the teachings in the in the pastors, vicars, and that today what they're teaching that is of God because He's a God of love, and anything and everything is acceptable. So I'm sorry if I've gone way off the the track, but it, it is it, it is because for for some it, it would appear today when I when I listen to them that um, what are they teaching the generation coming up? It's a good question. That anything and everything goes today. So I do apologise again right, if thanks, I've gone Beth. way off of Trump. Uh, uh, I, I agree. The, some, like looking at our own personal denomination, you know, uh, we have this branch of it, the Episcopal Church, which we would consider the very, very wayward sister. Um, and uh, who, who somehow we did not recognize the bad, bitter root, and, um, and we unfortunately reaped what we sowed with some, like what you said, a, a gospel that is no gospel, mm. uh, uh, a law that is actually no law, and uh, there's no judgment really. But here there is. God does remind us that there actually is a judgment, and, and there's Juxt um, also hold the same piece of tension. God is compassionate, merciful, and God yeah. does not want to destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. Mm. Like, they, 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 God doesn't sort of sit there and go, okay, I'm going to just sit down and look at this city, but once I find, okay, one bad seed, I'm going to drop a bomb on it. No, In fact, it's almost the reverse as well, remember? I'll save this if I find ten righteous. Yeah. Um, and so there is this element where uh, God is saying, I'll get this guy, okay? I'll figure out how to, to make sure that this person does not infect the rest of you. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, and and uh, and so there is this element of mercy and compassion in amongst judgment and, and, and salvation too. Isn't um, it the book of Jude that uh, he talks about that the evil ones will creep in unawares? They, they're going to creep into the midst of us unawares. Could be. It does. There is. There is a few um, hints within those. Um, uh, sort of later on epistles towards Revelation that yeah. sort of describe uh, a future that's not inc- incredibly um, bright, right? That, uh, yeah. wolves but and no, Roddy's right, right, Aaron, it does say that for sure. Yeah. But that principle here, too, is that his jealousy would burn against that man, too. Like, it's so powerful that God is so, God is number one, and he's jealous when he's not number one. So like you're saying, Aaron, like mercy triumphs over judgment. He wants us to come back, you know? The one thing that also caused my attention is that he does not want anyone to perish, that, that all come to a saving faith. I mean, that's, that's the heart, that's the hesed, that's what he wants. Um, but then I, I really like uh, the passage in Leviticus 26, if you don't listen to me and don't do these commandments, and then he, ch- he, he chastises, he brings divine chastisement for the purpose of bringing people back. And he says, right. to the point of like sevenfold and your, you know, pestilence, sevenfold beast, sevenfold. And it's just this, this over and over chastisement, divine chastisement with the with the with the desire through that chastisement to bring them back into the fold but at the point where he says in 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 leviticus 26 uh but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers then i will remember the covenant and they will enjoy the sabbath but if they don't then he says then he will spurn them and make them you know uh destroy but 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 god's love and chastisement that's why he he wants to bring them back and it hurts it but hurts. it gets to the point where if they are just have that high hand and they say no and it is defiant sin then he will turn them into the choices that they themselves make that's why he says be careful if you follow idolatry because it's by that idolatry that you will be judged so he actually turns them over to the decisions that they make and because they turn to idolatry they turn to the moabites they turn then they're actually it's the measure for measure then they're actually disciplined by and at some point with this with this person here, if it's male or female, he will blot his name out. God will turn his face. He will not shine anymore his face upon these people. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but the love of God really is to bring, bring his, you know, he'll go out, leave the 99 and bring the one and and bring them into the sheepfold. And then another thing that came to mind with this whole idea and I really was meditating on what Mordecai had said, I think last week about the joy uh, of going into the land. And I just, and I remember Aaron, you had, you had said, oh yeah, what, you know, what does that mean by blotting out of the land? And, and, uh, and then I was thinking, gosh, how, uh, how do these curses apply? And what, what, what is the nature of these curses and why? And, and I just wanted to share for like a couple minutes, exactly what we, what, what was mentioned. Um, and I think Mordecai said this in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 26, 
Um, he's giving them the land. He's giving them vineyards that they didn't plant, houses that they didn't construct, blessings. And so the first thing, there's a command like in Sukkot, you shall rejoice. Seven days, we have to be joyful. I remember that because that's when my husband had COVID and I... And he was in the hospital when he we, like he went up to uh, intensive care. And I just was like, my heart was like, and I said, I have to rejoice. It's during the Sukkot season. I, you shall rejoice. And so as they're going into the land in chapter 26, mm-hmm. you shall rejoice. So the offering that we talked about, the Bikurim of the, the first fruits, in all of the good that the Lord your God has given to you, your house, the Levite, and the sojourner. So that's the first thing, is that you shall rejoice. And then he says the same thing in chapter 28. We talked about that last last week. And uh, the curses, uh, 47, Deuteronomy 28, 47, because you did not serve the Lord, your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, then there's all of these curses. But what was the blessing? The houses, uh, you know, uh, the freedom of not being in in slavery, uh, the wine, the fruit, I mean, all of that. And because they did not receive that in joy, it's the measure for measure in a sense that what he gave them now will go again. So since they didn't have simcha and joy, he actually takes what they didn't weren't thankful for, and then he brings the. I see many times that the the disobedience, the curses, are on top of that not having the joy and taking away from the things that they didn't appreciate and give thanks to. And and then that comes to us. You know, are we thankful for the things that we have? Do we have joy in serving the Lord? Uh, many times we only realize that we you know when we lose the things that we. And so can we have that and be have a joyful heart at all times of the things that, 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 that God has given us. Yeah. I think that's a principle that humans need hard discipline too, eh? to stay back right. on track, back on track. It's pretty harsh. You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, you know, a little, don't do that, please. You know, it's like, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and the jealousy of God is twofold. One is for his name and one is for his people. He also wants to defend his people. For yeah. his love, eh? For, 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 them love, to yes. love him. For, for them to love him, I guess. eh? Yes, and in yes, and in relation to um, defending his name, we read in verse twenty-two, and the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes to, from a far land, so it's the, the locals and the foreigners, the Jews and the Gentiles, will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has made it sick, uh, the whole land burned up with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing growing. Where there's no plan to sprout and overthrow like that. It names the cities of, of overthrowing Sodom, Gomorrah, Dachman, Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of his great anger? Uh-huh. And, uh, and then there's right. the, the, the result. But um, this, this plays out um, uh, uh, in, in, you know, uh, the, the, the idea that the, the, the nation of Israel like, was, was meant to reveal God to, to people. And um, as we saw that in Deuteronomy 28, so obviously the reverse is there can be a negative side of this. Mordecai, it's called something special in Hebrew. What's it called? It's called Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying his name by showing the world the godliness. Yeah. And it, and it can be as simple as a big nation, but um, I remember you telling me a story the other day 
It can be something even even more simple than that. What's your, the story you, you share with me? Well, it's a very very Jewish way of warning. Uh, even today, uh, let's say there's a there's two Jews that this have disagreements between uh, them and they don't talk to each other and they are not willing to solve that problem by meeting. And here here comes the rabbi of uh, or the elder of that community uh, saying. You know, guys, you are not doing something sanctifying God's name in the eyes of Goyim, so-called, you know, other nations, because the Jews, except in Israel, are the minority in the world, you know, and they always keep warning by using the exact words which Moshe used thousands years ago by saying, you know, you, you guys got to be careful uh, with what you are doing because other nations are seeing us, so we are basically obligated to do uh, something to sanctify his name, the Kiddush Hashem. So it happens in the Jewish community, and they always warn us by using exactly the same tool, uh, which Moshe used a thousand years ago. I also personally experienced that, if you want, Aaron, I can share it. Sure, so I was studying in the Koran Heights in New York, and I was walking by with my rabbi, and there was these uh, two Jews who were neighbors, and they were uh, like disagreeing on a little driveway. It was so small, but somehow it became so big for them, and they stopped to talk to each other, and they didn't even greet each other with saying Shabbat Shalom or Good Shabbos, which is a big deal in our community. And I was, we were walking by, and my rabbi stopped to go and talk with them by saying, you know, look, you are not doing something that sanctify God's name in the eyes of other nations, the, the Gores. So put yourselves together and, you know, solve the problem. So still today, even moms, fathers, uncles, they keep warning by using exactly the same thing. So it shows Moshe Rabbein is a very Jewish guy, in fact, right? And it's linked, it's linked to idolatry. It, yeah. Like a lot of things, just linked to idolatry because, uh, yes, verse 25 says, then the people will say it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers yeah. who made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then they went and they served other gods and they worshipped these other gods, gods that they hadn't known, that he had not allotted to them. What an interesting way of describing a god. This is your god. I bought him in the shop. He's a good one, okay? He's got uh, some nice clothing, a big hammer. Um, we'll call him Thor. What do you reckon, guys? Um, you know, what an interesting way to describe. And so God gets angry. Okay? The anger of the Lord was kindled against the land. Why the land? Well, the people... God is, you know, somebody's doing something and, and the land, God is kingdom against the land. Well, we see when they don't obey many, many times that the land will vomit them out. So yep. there's always, you know. That. Godom, Gomorrah. Yep. Yeah. There's a connection, as we've discussed before, that there's a connection between humans and the earth. God and makes it seems to go earth. back to the garden, the garden yes. of Eden, where the Lord doesn't curse the man, he curses the ground because of what he's done. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Where do we get our life from? Hey? Well, the life is in the blood, but we also survive off of the ground. If the we ground dies, then we're going to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the ground don't want to die. So as, as uh, Yvonne said, 
if, if these humans keep sinning, I'd better throw them away because then the God might come after me, right? So uh, get, get, go, 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 go forth from the uh, wicked human. It's interesting. The anger of the Lord kindled against the land. Uh, so there's that connection. We have to have dominion over the earth, positive and negative. Our job actually is to make it positive. And humans can. They can do great things with the earth. We can grow lots of food. We can plant forests where there wasn't one. We can beat back the desert. Um, there's, a, there's a lot. We can mine things and build big hospitals and make power and, and uh, do all kinds of things. Uh, it's good. And then, but when, you, when, we, when we abandon it and we do evil, then uh, the earth is just destroyed. And it brings with it all the curses written in this book. So uh, we're beginning to see a lot more now uh, of the idea of writing, blotting out, making a note. Okay? Uh, literature is starting to really come about here. And the Lord uprooted them from the land in, in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land which is an interesting thing, where they are to this day. But Israel and the, and the land of uh, the people of Israel and the land of Israel do have a connection. Uh, Gentiles have their lands portioned out for them too, and they're good. They're great. Okay? It's all part of the same world that God said it is good. And uh, I think everybody likes to travel and visit and see other great places uh, that the world has made. And they're all delightful. Um, and, 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 and God so loved the world. However, there is a special place where Israel uh, has or was supposed to be, and, that, and that's here. So we're, we're thankful that he has indeed established the land uh, as it is. And that very, uh, and then all of a sudden, this last sentence almost comes out of left field. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Mm, amen. Yes. So after giving a very interesting discussion on sanctification of the name, being very careful about these little roots that can um, damage uh, the entire community, which the entire community is going to suffer. The, the, the good people are not going to be able to defend the evil. The evil are going to bring judgment on the good. You know, the very interesting way that that's looking. God is uh, is jealous and will we'll remove them. And then all of a sudden we finish this discussion with, ah, but there are some secret things. They belong to God. And uh, But the things that are revealed, the things that I've been talking about, the things that God has opened his voice that we want to hear, want to hear and obey that voice from, from last week. Well, they belong to us, but not just us. We have to share them with our kids. They belong to them too. The generations that are not here, standing with us, belongs to them as well. And uh, and so we have to, uh, because they're ours, we don't just keep them on the bookshelf. We don't just uh, turn them into a movie to, to be watched at Christmas time. This is something that you put into practice that we we do all the because work. we are responsible for them. Yes, that's it. We're obligated. We have some obligations now. Now that we've uh, had the revelation. Um, now that you know to do right, it's wrong if you do nothing. Right? No, you won't. Um, and so we, it's so what we obviously we don't know what the secret things are, but there is another passage um, 
what was it? Is it the honor of the Lord is to conceal a thing or the glory of the Lord is to conceal yeah. a thing? Yeah. And it, the honor of a king to search it out. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. Okay, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. What I find interesting is that the word occult in its base meaning is hidden. So the Lord is saying, just don't, don't go after this stuff. These things yes. are hidden. Okay. The things that have been revealed are for us to follow and for our children and to pass on to our children. Yes, indeed. Does this have anything to do with uh, the secret things or the hidden things, my, like in, um, sins that are, that are in secrets? God will, will execute judgment on open transgressions and as well as the things that are, that are in secret. Well, there's, a, I suppose, a sense in which that in the end, those things that we think are secret will come, come out. Exactly. So he will execute uh, judgment even on the things that are hidden from the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, why does it say the honor of a king? Why, why would it say that? What does a king doesn't... get to do that the rest of the people don't uh, <laughs> 500 years ago? <laughs> right. Well, what was, it, according to what's Moses, the, yep, what, it, what is the only rule we give a king? What's, what's yeah, his exactly. Yeah. Write the Torah. First thing, okay? Can't have lots of wives. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't have lots of silver, gold, or horses. So what should I do, boss? Here's what you should do. You should write out the Torah. <laughs> and, and if the uh, king is writing out the Torah, then he will have the honor of seeking these, these secrets yeah. to share with his people. With his people, right. Of course, with a king, we should we hopefully will have a functioning priesthood. You know, the judiciary. We would have a Oops. functioning, yeah, <laughs> functioning high priest and uh, and a prophet. But it uh, doesn't always always work out that way. Okay, guys, great. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.